Overture, curtains, lights, this is it. Let's hit the heights. And know what heights will hit. On with the show, this is it. You like that intro? The old Warner Brothers? Overture, curtains, lights. All right, all right. So, it's Halloween on a Monday. Like, what the hell, man? Halloween. This is, of course, not the first time that's the holiday, Halloween holiday, has fallen on a weekday, but Monday, Monday, that sucks, is, are people dressing up, are people dressed up on a Monday for Halloween, do they care, after, after recovering from alcohol poisoning over the weekend, and going to pub crawls, or, uh, park, celebrations in Roseville where the homeless are moving their bowels in the middle of the bike trail or uh or are you a diligent are you are you are you are you one of the ones that anticipate somebody's office birthday so that you can get that cake that sheet cake from Rayleigh's or Ralph's or Albertson's or Bel Air or Costco you know, is Wendy from accounting a slutty witch again? Is Mark and Receivable still preaching against the pagan holiday and handing out pamphlets about the word? You know, is that quiet kid that wears the trench coat in the mailroom with the Sam Hain sticker and the goth stickers all over his laptop? Is he, uh, is he still quiet and brooding? Is Enrique in finance, who puts all the little motion sensor, little gimmicks, that when you reach for a piece of his candy in the bowl, some glowing-eyed ghoul pops out of nowhere so that he can Instagram the shit out of it? Is that, is that what's going on right now in your office? Well, that sucks. <laughs> it's so, I mean, hey, that's your world, man. That's your world, you know? Um, well, a little bit of bad news, unfortunately. Jerry Lee Lewis, the very talented and very... Um, and very, uh, and very, uh, cousin marrying oriented type passed away on the 28th. You know, you don't hear, you know, it's kind of weird. You know, he's kind of up there with one of those, you know, one of the greats, of course, particularly in the realm of playing the piano, the showmanship, rock and roll, great balls of fire. But uh, 
yeah, he was uh, he was something else. I didn't know he, I honestly didn't know he was still alive. So, um, but of course the whole thing with him, of course I think I mentioned this previously, but he uh, his his cousin is uh, Jimmy Swagger. Uh, well, he's got two cousins. There's Jimmy Swaggart, the uh, the uh, disgraced preacher. Uh, what's he doing? Was he having? Is he doing prostitution? Or having sex with prostitutes or something? Is that what I have seen? Um, and then his other cousin is uh, Mickey Gilly, of all people. Wild, huh? Not weird. But cousins everywhere, man. You know, some some that some you hang with, some you marry. <laughs> but R.I.P. R.I.P. There's still that biography I cannot find for the life of me. It's I don't know if it's out of print, but uh, the one written by uh, Nick uh, Nicotius about uh, Jerry Lee Lewis called Hellfire. You know, it's just deranged, weird shit. I was talking to uh, speaking of hillbillies and. Uh, Dueling banjos and stuff. I was talking to the uh, security guy over at the blood processing company. This guy, Kyler, he's like, uh, I go. We were talking about food for some reason. Talking about like veganism, vegetarian. I said, I don't, you know, and he was the same. He said, uh, we both kind of concurred. Like, as long as it's good food, man, you know, I don't give a fuck. He's like, yeah, of course. And the same with music. I go, you know, I don't care if it's like fucking... I mean, I don't listen to a whole lot of country, you know, but I don't give a fuck if it's rock, pop, jazz, blues, country, you know, fucking Indian music. If it's good music, it's good music. He's like, yeah, I don't, he goes, uh, I don't listen to any country music. Matter of fact, he goes, <laughs> he goes, the only country music I listen to is that one with the banjo. I'm like, the banjo? He's like, I'm like, what? You mean dueling banjos? The fucking hillbilly butt-fucking anthem? The butt-fucking hillbilly anthem. Dueling banjos from the movie Deliver. He didn't even know where it was from. He just know. He just knew about it. Which comes from that movie Deliverance, which is like 72. And uh, had Burt Reynolds and uh, John Voight you know, at their peak, their prime, about these guys that go away on a, it's kind of a camping, uh, rafting, hunting trip. Burt Reynolds is like this, uh, he's kind of like what Joe Rogan wants to be, kind of this badass bow hunter of sorts, but they, they go up into the Appalachian Mountains, right? And on the way in, they stop off at this little country bumpkin store, right? And there's this incest, like, there's this incest little hillbilly sitting out front with a banjo. And uh, he, uh, oddly enough, the the group, the hunting group, the, the rafting group with Burt Reynolds and John Voight and Ned Beatty, um, who gets his shit pushed in in the movie. Sorry, spoiler alert. Um, run into that hillbilly on the porch of this country bumpkin store to buy some Mountain Dew or some Mellow Yellow or some fucking hillbilly bullshit, right? And he start, and so the guy, one of the guys in the group has a banjo and he sees the, the little incest dude, little fucking Jason Voorhees sitting up there with his banjo. He starts playing and that's where it comes from. And like it made, it was like radio friendly. It was like radio 
it it took on a life of its own from the movie. I go, bro, you should check that out, dude. Look it up. Deliver. He did. He knew nothing about it. Deliverance. It's the butt fucking hillbilly anthem. So speaking of hillbilly, um, well, moving on. So, um, so in the spirit of Halloween, um, I started reading more. Like uh, Edgar Allan Poe, and uh, or about him, I even watched a biography, and uh, he. Uh, well, this is a guy that, when he was twenty six. Speaking of marrying your cousin, he married his. Uh, it was the second. I think it was the second or third marriage, but he married his. His cousin who was not yet, uh, how old was she? Was she 13? Poe, he, Poe was 26 and Virginia was not yet 13 when they married. And, um, which was, I don't know. This dude, like, Edgar Allan Poe had a fucked up life. Which I kind of knew, like, subconsciously, I guess, I'd, I'd cobbled enough knowledge about this cat over the years that I just knew like I maybe mean, obviously from his writings you can tell he was a little dark a little morose but I didn't know the half of it like chick so um um let's see so he was always broke okay and uh from 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 early on like his his mother died from uh, tuberculosis, which is, I, I guess it's consumption as well. Consumption, like consumption is like one of those diseases, you know, like you hear about from like, you know, 18th century England, like consumption, but it's, I believe it's, it's just dirt, tuberculosis, right? Same thing that like, uh, D.H. Lawrence had died from what provoked him, which provoked him to move from like the damp climate of England to like Arizona. Yeah. Like D.H. Lawrence, Lady Chatterley's lover, the writer of, you know, all those banned books and stuff like that. But, uh, so, Edgar Poe, as he was named when he was, uh, before he was three years old, his mother died. Uh, she was like 24. So, and this was 1811. So this is back in the day. And, uh, so he's orphaned, uh, at this point, I don't know what his, I don't know where the father was. I don't know. He must have already passed or something. And so he was taken in by the Allen family, um, who the mother really liked, liked Edgar. Um, the dad was kind of ambivalent, I guess. And, but so after his mother died, before he was three, um, he was adopted, or, you know, his step-parents, uh, stepmother, Mrs. Allen, which is obviously where he got his middle name, Edgar Allen Poe, uh, she died from consumption, also known as tuberculosis. Like, fuck, man. And so his, his stepfather, um, he, um, I guess they had kind of a, Mm, not as close a relationship, maybe a more tense relationship, but um, 
nonetheless, he went to, so he ended up going to the University of Virginia in Richmond, which I, I touched on probably, you know, several podcasts ago, but, which is interesting because it's like, you know, you know, it's a real, like University of Virginia, that's where, uh, that's where like Ralph Sampson went, you know, the great, the great college basketball and uh, in, NBA star. I believe he went, yeah, he went to Virginia. You know, great tradition, but this was like the second year of his existence. So 18, whenever that was. So he would have been, say, like, let's see, if he was three, three years old in 1812, he would have, say, been about 1827. Yeah. So I'm guessing that the university was probably founded in like 1824, 18, 1825. So in, only in its second year of existence. He attended that university, which is now just a big, you know, it's a, it's a great college mainstay hall of academia. But back in the day, it was like, I guess it was kind of woolly and wild and like a free for all. Like, uh, you know, in the second or third year he was there, um, you know, professor was killed over some argument. You know, it was just it was just like there was fights breaking out. It was just weird. It's because I don't know. I mean, in 1825, you know, formal education wasn't as as, as accepted <laughs> as it is these days. But it, but but Edgar Edgar Allan Poe at this point he was uh, always broke, and he couldn't pay for his studies. So he went. He tried gambling to pay for his food, studies, whatever. And he was a horrible gambler. So he went into like $2,000 of debt, 2000 in 1825, right, or whatever. And so he called on his stepfather to help him out. His stepfather wouldn't, he wouldn't help him. So he had to flee. He had to actually leave early. He had to leave college early before getting a degree of any sort to evade his debtors because there was debtor prisons back then, you know. And uh, so he, he, yeah, he escaped his gambling the debtors, the guys that wanted to break his kneecaps and so forth. So he'd always had kind of a chip on his shoulder, right? Always broke, always had a chip on his shoulder. And, uh, but very smart, very athletic, very, he was, he, he was really like a good looking, like, I guess he, you know, set some record for swimming up again, uh, upstream in, in some local river for like six miles. He was very athletic. And, um, But all the chaos is uh, around him was 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 the big issue, um, you know. The um, the instability of his life and uh, and just being broke all the time, being hungry, being broke. So all this had added to the demeanor, his his gloomy demeanor, you know, broke, hungry. Uh, it it all, but it also kind of it it transferred into like this methodology of self sabotaging himself. Um, so, because he had typically held jobs, um, he was editors of of, of magazines, newspapers, um, this that and the other, and he was quite arrogant about it and quite rude about. It his editorials and uh, talking and sharing his opinions and 
um, kind of rubbed, rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, kind of in, in a weird kind of chip on his shoulder type, I don't know, kind of a, hmm, again, like, a, yeah, like a self-saboteur, he, uh, he would he would lose these jobs. He would stay in poverty constantly. Like he he was always in. Matter of fact, um, the only money he ever made from these stories that he would, that he would write was uh, from the Raven. I think he made like fourteen dollars from publishing the Raven. I think that's the most money he'd ever made from writing in his career. Isn't that wild? I mean, he's like one of the, I mean, he's, he influences like, I mean, he's, 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 he's a huge, huge influence on uh, these other writers, uh, filmmakers, uh, anybody kind of working that storyline, that dark storyline, you know, the Roger Corman's making movies about the Raven or the pit, and the, the pit and the pendulum, uh, the fall, the house, they usher, all that stuff. Um, so it kind of it kind of um informed his all this all these experiences informed his writing his you know his, he wrote like a 20th century psychologist you know his stories reflected all the death that was always around him in stories like you know telltale heart mask of the red death um so after he lost but check this out so after he lost his mother and his stepmother he also lost his brother uh, to, tuber- to uh, tuberculosis, to uh, consumption, right? And, uh, and then finally, finally, um, ultimately it would claim his, uh, his young bride, his, his Jerry Lee Lewis cousin bride, you know, which is, which is tragic because I guess they had a really good relationship, even though it's kind of weird and cousiny and hillbillyish and weird and dark and I guess they got along famously like but man there's a lot of tuberculosis floating around there um but yeah despite you know it being printed in um New York, New York pa- newspapers and um periodicals the raven only brought him a grand total of $14 and it was his most I think I believe it was, a, it was his most popular piece for its time and literally um he, it was so po- matter of fact it was so popular according to this biography um a hugely popular enough to give it gave him the a, a public nickname the raven like kids would call him that people would referred to him as the raven this dark he's like and he'd play along you know he'd you know he'd chase the kids around they'd they'd you know he'd buy in they'd 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 tease him and he'd buy in and he'd he'd you know it was just perpetual it was fun for him but uh but sadly that's what is uh that's what that that story is about quoth the raven nevermore you know it's about his recently deceased wife um and uh you know about seeing lenore when will i see lenore nevermore nevermore quote the raven nevermore so and it's kind of sad you know as as dark as as, as dark as a presence as he, as it was and as as dark as a nickname as he had earned uh and as dismal a life as he was living like 
um, underneath it all, there was like, he was working like 16 hour days, but still couldn't keep her fed properly enough or give her the, you know, enough medicine or the right medicine or something. Uh, he would have to carry her from her bed to the table or vice versa. Um, and, uh, yeah, but he still, he felt like tremendous, tremendous guilt over that death. Um, but just all around him, mother, stepmother, brother, wife, everybody just dropping, just going tits up, just circling the drain, just sad shit, right? Dark stuff. I mean, you can, I mean, it's a wonder this guy isn't obviously writing like fucking Nicholas Sparks, you know? Don't quote me. Don't, 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 don't ever repeat that, that I ever said that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just, ah, sad stuff. Um, but here we are on Halloween, talking about it, talking about the guy again. I think, yeah, somebody leaves like a, I don't know what the deal is, if it still goes on, but somebody leaves like a bottle of sherry or, or port. Maybe it's a bottle of port, like a brandy wine and some roses or something on his grave each Halloween. But uh, anyway, that's our boy. Old, old Ed Poe. Good old Ed Poe. So that concludes the somber portion of our broadcast today, but... Nevertheless, or nevermore, or furthermore, or ever Lenore, it, well, it, his life unfortunately trailed, he died when he was 40, um, he had, uh, after he lost his wife, he, um, became quite the alcoholic, and then, um, he was also kind of a, um, he was kind of a, well, not a ladies man, but he really, he went hard in the paint, writing letters to several women at once, usually using the same formatted letter. Uh, I think probably just in an effort to just, he, 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 um, he sought out female companionship. I think, you know, you're, when you, I don't know, when you lose your, mother at an early age like that obviously it has an effect on you and his his life was no different I mean he um, definitely sought out female companionship throughout his life but it seemed like he really pushed hard after he lost his uh, cousin slash sister slash wife um, and he ended up meeting What's her name? Meg Whitman? Meg Whitman? Or is that Meg Whitman? Meg Whitman. Is that the, that's the CEO of, the former CEO of eBay, I think. But uh, some poet, a female poet, poetess, whatever you want to call her. I think her name was like Meg Whitman or Meg Whitman. Anyway, she, uh, she was a, she was an established uh, poet who he, was basically uh, very, kind of engaged to. He, was, he, he got to the point where he was going to be engaged or just, or was engaged prior to marriage or something. He, uh, the lady's mom, I guess she had some, she had some fi- financial wherewithal, some financial stability. 
uh, some property and so forth. But as her her mom urged or f- virtually forced upon Edgar Allan Poe a contract that said that he was to sign that said you will not seek her any of her estate if you venture into marriage or some something to that effect. And he he uh, basically just said, well, he was offended and he uh, refused to sign and sent him into kind of a kind of a catastrophic alcoholic rampage of just further delusionary you know tactics and uh, kind of lost the plot and just became the you know he he it was the life of a drunk he was, he was a drunk he became a drunk he is a drunk he was a drunk and um, and ultimately um, that's what killed him I believe he just died of he got he got sick and then he he died at the age of 40 uh, penniless and sad and and so there you go so uh, let this be a lesson to you kids uh, anyway there's nothing to there's nothing to learn here unless you want to be a great writer uh, like the great David Cho says I guess some some art requires suffering and his is I mean this guy we're talking about 18 you know, 1820, this guy was writing stuff in 1820, 1830. He had his choice of being like an artist or a writer, like his, his peers, his cohorts and friends didn't know it. You know, they, they saw this guy as somebody who could choose any path he wanted prior to like all this misery and self-sabotaging. And, uh, anyways, fascinating stuff. But in the vein of, of Halloween, so, or just the month of October, this being the last day, uh, I, I crammed as much holiday viewing in as I possibly could. But I went for the more obscure stuff this time. I went with um, I went with Italian horror. Okay, and not by I don't know haphazardly, accidentally, surreptitiously serendipitously I don't know is that a word and uh, I was I was kind of skimming through all the choices on uh, Prime and I saw Elvira Mistress of the Dark Hosts uh, Frankenstein's House of Freaks (laughs) I'm like there's not one word in that whole title that I don't like so I was in I was uh, in uh in like Flynn, I was down, I was ready to roll, House of Freaks, Frankenstein, Elvira, come on, big boobs, big monster, big title, but it was a horror, it was Italian horror, and they do some good, like, the Italians, for whatever reason, you know, like I say, the immigrants always do the American dream better, and this is another great example of that, um, much like Spaghetti Westerns, the Italian horror is definitely worth its, I mean, in, in its own way, it's not, it, it's not like they do horror better, they do it, they do it the Italian way, which is like, well, this particular, well, no, was it, uh, oh, no, 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 it wasn't, it wasn't Elvira's, uh, it wasn't, um, Frankenstein's 
House of Freaks as much as it was. That was a weird one. That was a, it was definitely Italian made and it, uh, it, 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 it had a great recipe. There was like a, there was like a crazed dwarf who was like Frankenstein's assistant. There was a big monster. His name, what was his name? He had a funny name like Gronk or Gonk or Ghoul or something like that who had like a giant monobrow and, um, but it didn't, it didn't quite hold my attention the way that, um, Dario Argento's version of Dracula did when I turned that on. Another, again, Dario Argento, the famed Italian director, primarily of horror, and, 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 and his daughter, Asia, Asia Argento, the, uh, the ex-girlfriend of one Anthony Bourdain, the crazy Italian broad that sent him over the edge and, uh, to his eventual demise. It's all there, man. It's all, it's in, it's all written in Italian horror. And, uh, boy, that, they got after quick in that one. Um, the Jonathan character just went straight into just railing some girl, um, full on just epic, just, uh, cherubesque, cherubic, white, pale, rounded boobs and butt all over the place early on. They were getting after it, right? Like, so it's kind of like, it's schlocky horror, but it's also like, uh, a little bit of porn. Good stuff though. But the, the, the best movie, well, and again, I didn't, I don't think I finished any of these movies. I don't have the attention span anymore for it, but the third, uh, let's see, Saturday night, I watched, I turned, I decided I, uh, as I was skimming through, I saw, um, don't look now, which I believe it's considered one of the better horror flicks of its time. Another seven, these are all, these are all from the seventies as well. So that gives it another bit of like weird, funky panache style, you know, and, uh, but don't look now is, is, uh, another just, I don't know. In the seventies, people didn't give a fuck evidently because this had Donald, Donald Sutherland, who I think is just a genius. He's great. He's weird. He's tall, skinny. He's Canadian. And Julie Christie, who, um, is a legend. And, but the premise is that they lose their daughter uh, early on she drowns and they're kind of haunted by the tragedy itself but nevertheless he's some kind of like an architect or something and he's doing a church and he goes to Venice with her and they they're, they get at, like it's pretty dark and um I'm not going to ruin it for you, but I'll tell you this, boy. They There's a scene where they get... They're really fucking. I think they're really fucking. Him and Julie Christie. And it they get after it. Because it's... Uh, it's directed by Nicholas Rogue, who did... Uh, the Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie. And uh, he did... What's the other one? Uh... Walk, I think it's Walkabout, the Australian movie. Nicholas Rogue, he's, he was, uh, I think he comes from a 
like a DP type background, director of photography, more uh, photography oriented, much like Terrence Malick and a lot of those, you know, those epic shots that are, you know, involve nature or big landscapes or wide, you know, Midwestern landscapes or, or uh, just beautiful, just wide open lens type shots. And uh, Don't Look Now is very, it's kind of a, it's got a dark, real dark uh, subtext to it. You can feel it. it's kind of creepy the way he, he, uh, he uses this kind of a, like the other Italian movies, uh, the other two I was talking about, is a real, it's a real weird kind of a, it's a weird lens that they use that gives it its distinct flavor, but, um, but I'll tell you this, boy, they, I think they really fucked in that movie. I think they really fucked. And, uh, cause yeah, he was, I mean, there, the angles that he was shooting at, I'll tell you, um, he was, uh, Donald Sutherland, they, they, he was burying that salami. I'm telling you, there was nowhere else for that to go. There was nowhere else. And, uh, Julie Christie, boy, she was, I mean, they gave into that role. Like you think, I don't know the way I looked at it was like, boy, they are really, I don't know. Maybe some people get rubbed the wrong way by actors and actresses, you know, because they're probably weird and uptight or just kind of, uh, arrogant or I don't know, detached from reality, which some of them are, but I'm telling you, when you if you do, if you prepare for a movie like this, and a guy like Donald Sutherland, I mean, this is a guy he worked with Fellini and Casanova. He worked with Robert Altman and Mash. Uh, again, he 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 hides French expatriates in his in his in his house uh, for whatever reason. I don't know why. He's very uh, civically minded, kind of as he was an activist of some sort, uh, well, he's Canadian, you know, but man, he fucking, he was delivering the mail on this one, I'm telling you, um, so it really had little to do with the, the story itself, I don't know, but can't recommend enough, don't look now, Nicholas Rogue, fucking great director, fucking great, great, weird, strange movie, but but other than that, um, I don't know what's going on tonight. I don't, uh, as I go at all the donor centers, they all seem, they're all dressed up like some are dressed, some aren't, I don't know. They work with blood. It's, uh, maybe the props are already there and, um, they seem, uh, not, not that excited to be there. I don't know. Like you would, like you would at a, at a, at a job at, it, uh, you know, on a, on a Monday, <laughs> on a, you know, uh, on a Halloween Monday, it's, uh, you know, were you that guy that just underestimated or over, uh, or, or didn't calculate your, your, your costume correctly and, and decided to dress up as a scale model of the earth. And now you can't, now you can't sit down at your desk. Is that, is that what's going on? Um, yeah, it reminds me of like, I mean, again, your mom has a lot of effect on, on, on you, you know, 
jumping back into the whole Edgar Allan Poe thing, um, moms have a lot of, of, of say in your, in your, in, in your demeanor, I, I guess. And, uh, and I don't know, I'm still having trouble forgiving my mom for the time that when I was 10, she sent me to, a. a a Halloween party, well, it was a birthday party, but it was uh, the day after Halloween, November 1st, of course, and this kid on the soccer team, I think it was our goalie, Mike, and um, it was his birthday party the Saturday, it was a Saturday after the game, and I was at a stage in my life where I was typically, like, I these 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 nurses at the donor centers all, you know, they're, they're trying to be clever by saying that they're dressed up like a nurse, well, that that, uh, all right, all right, I got you, I get it, because, you know, for a brief period from about when I was seven or eight to about ten, I was a soccer player because I played soccer, so after the, I would just wear my soccer uniform, I was a soccer player for Halloween, but one year I decided I'd dress up like a hobo, yeah, uh, you heard me right, a hobo, and complete with giant plastic cigar, you know, the fake five o'clock shadow, uh, I had a funky, but, you know, busted up hat and one of those sticks that has the polka dotted, uh, napkin tied around the end of it, you know, carrying your belongings. Did they ever really do that? Did hobos ever really carry something like that? But I did, I did. And you know, and I was gonna, you know, in this particular, at this particular juncture of my life, being a 10-year-old, an impressionable 10-year-old, no less, um, after the game, I thought, all right, well, I'm going to, I'm going to a birthday party. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get fucked up on cupcakes and have a good time with the fellas, but, um, the invitation, but the invitation said it's a costume party, it being the day after Halloween, the day after, which is November 1st, which I don't know about you, but the day after holidays, I don't want to see a fucking molecule of the previous holiday. I don't want to see one thing. I don't want to be Enrique in finance who's got to take down all my motion sensor activated fucking skeletons that jump out from behind your office bookcase or your bowl of candy or your fucking all this shit. It's fake webs and pulling up, pulling apart the the plastic little black widow spiders off that you know cotton candy looking spider web menagerie of crap that you put up all over your office. You know you're scratching your head November first, like why the fuck? Oh god, why did I decorate? You know now I got to tear all this shit down. Well, November first, the last thing I want to do is dress up. But no, no the invitation to the birthday party said costume party so my mom my mom fucking oh you're getting dressed up no I'm not yeah you are ah come on it's I'll just wear my soccer uniform no we're gonna you know it says costume party um you're gonna get dressed up so fuck so here I was, I showed up at the damn, at the damn costume party, the birthday party, dressed like a hobo, rang the doorbell, 
only to discover as my mom was burning rubber out of the driveway of a stranger's home where she left me that I was the only one dressed up. I was the only one dressed up and I was dressed up as a hobo with a knapsack and a bad hat and a giant plastic cigar. Yeah. So that was kind of my own little horror movie that I lived, you know, my own little Italian horror. And uh, none too pleased. None too pleased. I was not happy. Uh, 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 I was ridiculed, naturally, as any 10-year-old should be by his peers. Um, if I was on the flip side of that, I definitely would have jumped on the pile. But unfortunately, I was... I would, that day, I was at the bottom of that pile, and it fucking sucked, and that, but that's what, that's what made me who I am today, kind of a basket case, you know, kind of a paranoid, uh, schizophrenic, you know, weirdo that, uh, just rants, uh, to himself on, on podcasts, so, much like Edgar Allan Poe, I, uh, you know, I, I had, I, uh, I had some real, impressionable situations brought on by uh, by my mother and set me forth on this path that I'm on now. So just want to give a shout out to everybody that dressed up today. Hopefully it wasn't too jarring or scarring an experience like I, like I experienced as a 10-year-old. And um, happy Halloween to one and all. Uh, and uh, other than that, I'll talk at you later. Arrivederci, babies.